Hi, and welcome to episode two of At the Table, the episode in which I forget everything that I learned last week and wing it one more time. Thanks for joining me. I really appreciate you being there and listening, and I absolutely appreciate all the feedback I got from last week. And uh, here we go again. So I thought it worked out well last time when I uh, basically went over questions that I had received uh, privately, and a couple of the questions that were put up on the Ask Hannibal Anything Monday and talked about those in more detail. So that's kind of what I'm planning on going for today, and we'll see where that takes us. So this weekend, I had the uh, grand opportunity to work for Park West Gallery, a um, an art auctioneer company that I, I do occasional uh, shows for throughout the year all over the country. They um, They treat their clients, their potential clients, to weekends in exotic locations, uh, resorts, fun places to hang out. They, um, they treat them some, some of the local fare. They do uh, events with them, they, you know, great meals and et cetera and et cetera, and some fine entertainment. And sometimes I get to be that fine entertainment, which was the case this week. Had a lot of fun, had a, had a blast with the crowd that I had. Uh, some wonderful people, uh, uh, several children in the audience this time, which is not usual for me. It's not something I, I, I market towards. It's not something that uh, I'm strongest at, perhaps, family groups. But this one turned out kind of nice. The, uh, the kids were very intelligent. They were, they were funny in their own way, and I got to incorporate them into, uh, into the Liar Show, which was, which was nice, kind of a break from the usual. Uh, this week, uh, I happened to be in White Plains, New York. Had a uh, semi-uncomfortable but uneventful flight via U- uh, U.S. Air. They're not U.S. Air anymore. Uh, air America, um, because they offered a direct flight for a fairly good price. So that's who I took up on. Um, not a lot in the way of customer service. Kind of a... Uh, Kind of a cold reception all the way there and back, but I mean, their purpose is to get me from one place to the other. So who am I playing? And like I said, it was uneventful. There were some storms and there was some turbulence, but honestly, these are things I don't even notice anymore um, in travel. So um, got there, uh, stayed at the Ritz Carlton. As I'm checking in, as I'm as I'm walking in the front door, I'm not exactly sure how the Ritz does it, but uh, they greeted me by name. As I walked in, um, people, reception people that I had never met before, um, knew what kind of, apparently there's a file, <laughs> the kind of rooms that I like, the, um, uh, the service that I normally do, et cetera, et cetera. And then um, a woman that I had never met came up and asked, are you Hannibal? I'm a big fan. I follow you on YouTube. And uh, that that's the first time that's ever happened. Um quick autograph and a, and a brief conversation about uh, never been into magic before, but accidentally stumbled onto a video on YouTube of me and then went looking for all the videos she could find on me and, and just happened to, to run into me at the Ritz-Carlton, which, okay, I'll take it. Great to meet you. Glad I'm here. Glad you're here. Um, took a nap, set my show had a really, really great show, just a really good, fun, playful audience, and uh, I've needed one of those for a little while. So had a blast, got up at uh, 4 a.m., 
headed back to the airport and got home before noon. So life of a gypsy magician on the road, that uh, that's what that amounted to. There are times I wish I could spend a little more time in the places that I'm at, but finances being tight and everything else, there were, there's a lot I needed to do here. So glad to be home back in my little honeycomb. Let's see. Let's take a look at uh, questions I did not get to last time. One, this comes from Joshua Jackson. This comes from a, a private message that I got via the Patreon page. Um, I'm just going to read the question out loud, and then I'll then I'll uh, get into the answering of it, and we'll move on from there. Joshua poses his question like this. I'm not sure this has been asked yet, but for a question on your podcast, I'd like to know your opinions on YouTube magicians. People such as Chris Ramsey and Pig Cake, warning, Pig Cake has some vulgar patter, but it's kind of hilarious in a stand-up way, just a forewarning, or Jay Nation. Do you have any feelings towards releasing tutorials through YouTube? Personally, it's what got me started. This is still me reading his question. Within the past couple of months, I've bought some of the staple books of magic, Royal Road, Bobo's Modern Coin Magic, and those helped a lot. But having a video to refer to and stop, slow down, and pause has really helped me actually visualize and see what is being done. I understand that, in a way, they are releasing secrets of magic to the world, but it has gotten people like me who had a magic set when they were younger but couldn't teach himself, so to speak, an extra way to learn. So, long question longer, what are your thoughts on the subject of YouTube magicians? Well, Joshua and peripherally everybody else listening. I don't have a problem with artists presenting material on YouTube or any form of social media. If it is something that you have created, if it's something you have a passion for, teaching, if you want to help guide up-and-coming magicians with, um, with their studies, absolutely, sure, why not? Great use of, 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 a, of a medium. And caveat to what I'm going to say after this, it's not that widespread. Uh, while you are revealing secrets, the people that want to know these secrets still have to make the effort to seek them out. And that's always been the, the, uh, the thumbnail for me is if you make the effort to seek out the secret, then you are at least putting in you know the, the initial work to do it. Of course, it's, it's up to you to practice. It's up to you to rehearse. It's up to you to script. And you know before you ever put it on a stage or put it up in front of people yourself, it's your responsibility as the student um, to learn it as best you possibly can and then and to not stop striving uh, to do it better. Now, having said all of that, when I first took up magic when I first started rehearsing myself and using this medium as a way to express my feelings in my soul and and you know pursuing it as an art form the big hoo-ha at the time the big um, uh, controversy amongst magicians was magic on VHS tape it had just started coming out there were several dealers and uh, several creators that were putting out magic videos on VHS tape and charging exorbitant fees uh, in the you know in the eighty two hundred dollar range for a, a videotape of magic instruction. 
This was the norm when I was a, when I was I was a kid. I was twenty six years old, but when I first started out as a virgin magician, there's a there's a redundant term. Um, so there was a big argument about you know learning from books causes you to have to imagine things for yourself and and strictly makes you learn your own instruments, your hands, uh, what your hands are doing. Your hands have to learn these moves for themselves. And while it, it is easier on video to, uh, to, like you said, slow down, stop, reverse, go frame by frame to see each move, does it actually benefit you as a performer to learn that way? Um, I'm going to say in some cases yes, in some cases no. I know I relied on uh, on videotape myself for certain things, for some things I just could not get the grasp of. But by and large, I learned from books. I learned from books and I learned from seeking out other magicians to, you know, to get a, a practiced eye on looking at what I was doing. It was a very um, introspective, very give and take kind of a relationship that I set up with fellow magicians and a lot of those uh, a lot of those relationships I still hold this day as very precious to me um, to learn better you know whatever it is that okay let me put it this way with music you have to learn the chords and you have to learn the chord progressions and you have to learn the theory that goes in behind the music that you're attempting to make a lot of people can play tunes but can't play music. It is up to you, after learning these basics, to apply it to the theory and putting your hands on your instrument and, and making it work for you that way. Um, you can learn in, in any way you want, but you really you have to, to understand that the mistake is to stop learning at that point. Because once you take away the video, once you take away the initial point of contact and where you learned, your job isn't finished. You've got to keep going forward and progressing and making the actual effect yours, making it something that is artistic, something that means something, and not just mirroring or aping the video you learned from. The other huge problem that I have with uh, YouTube instruction, the other one, uh, this one's much bigger actually than the... uh, than the initial one. The first, let, me, let, me, let me clarify the first point before I go forward. The first point being, are you doing yourself a disservice by studying video um, as your sole means of, of learning magic or, or any arts? But we're sticking with magic for now. And the answer to that is, is uh, shadowy. You state very clearly in your question that... Uh, you started with the video, but then you moved on to the basic books, and I think that's a great path. I think that's a way to go. Uh, don't leave out Tarbell. As as ancient as it may seem, there is a huge amount of gold in uh, in those books, um, and I highly recommended that you you go right back to the basics. They're they're classics for a reason. So, first point is don't you know. I fear, well, I know for a fact that a lot of magicians will learn from video, uh, ape those things, and stop there. That's, that's the rising to the height of their mediocrity, and, uh, and they stop practicing after that. Now, 
I'm going to go ahead and say that's true about a lot of the arts. It, it glares in my face because I'm a magician and I see other magicians who obviously stopped way before their potential was, was finished, but I also see it in musicians. I see it in actors. I see it in burlesque performers. Good Lord. I know some of the finest. I'm straight up. I am friends with some of the finest burlesque performers in the world. But then I see others who stop at the height of their mediocrity. This is good enough. This will play to the audience. This is, um, you know, all they really want is is a little bit of music and me taking my clothes off in a, in a semi-creative, artistic sort of way, and that's good enough. And I, I want to tell you, it ain't. Uh, boys and girls, man. Anybody in, 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 you know, if you're performing for an audience, if you're performing, performing for human beings... Whether you're taking money for it or not, if your attitude is up on the stage, this is good enough. Uh, all they want is X, and I'm delivering X, so it's good enough, and I'm making a, you know making the money that I make. I'm sorry, you're wrong. Your heart's in the wrong place. You know what? I'm not even sorry. Your heart's in the wrong place. You owe it to yourself. You owe it to your craft to be better than the person you were yesterday. Okay, so... Second point, second biggest thing. And I looked through some of the names that you put up, and I watched some of their videos, and um, some of them are quite funny. Some of them have a great grasp of artistic presentation, you know, and being themselves, and that's all fine and good. But uh, more than a couple of occasions, in fact, most of the occasions, they were teaching effects that they didn't have the right to teach. They were presenting other artists' material um, as their own. And while a couple of them did, did give credit, in particular uh, Pig Cake uh, said, this is an effect from this particular creator, and then went ahead to present and explain uh, the effect, um, being friends with the guy that he, uh, he presented this effect from, uh, the gentleman did not have his permission to um, to uh, put his effect on video, to put to teach it via YouTube. So, in effect, Pig Cake stole from this artist, um, this artist and a friend. And there's no way in the world I can justify, or support, or uh, condone that kind of behavior. It's flat out stealing. Artist created a piece of work. Um, presented it, you know, in his own work. Presented it in his own fashion. Published it, yes. Published a couple of the things uh, to the fraternity. Put it out uh, in the books. And I'm sorry for using the word fraternity. It's it's become habit with me. To the magic community, and uh, for his, uh, you know, one put his name on it, and two to receive due compensation for the uh, the bit he created and the bit he published. Um, this person, working under an alias, the anonymous internet, published it on YouTube, and it looks like he's making money from it because he gets a, he gets a, you know something back from YouTube or his sponsors for the work that he puts up, um, and uh, you know received compensation for stolen goods, and that's wrong. There's there's no good right, no way to explain it away explanation for that kind of thievery. It's wrong, it's bad, and it's not good for the craft itself. 
Um, so there, you know, that that's my my firm answer on on part two of that. So I don't, in general, I don't think there's a problem with teaching via YouTube per se, as long as the uh, the student doesn't stop at that point. But the bigger issue is, are you presenting material that is solely your own? Are you learning material that the teacher has the right to teach you? Lots of things are public domain. Lots of things have fallen into, I mean, you know, palming techniques, um, card control techniques, presentation techniques, the stuff that, you know, magician uh, to us as performance magicians are our chords and our notes and the things that we rely on, you know, slights to do the job that we do. Yeah, all of those things are public domain and yours to learn from wherever you learn them. Um, what we are bad at policing ourselves on are artists who steal from other artists. It's very much like taking a song and trying to, you know, write it, not just cover it, not just put out a cover version of another person's work, but presenting it as our own and, and uh, you know, teaching someone else, pretending that it belongs to us. And it just doesn't. So there, that's my opinion. Uh, I hope you understand. Um, Lindsay Stewart, in last week's Ask Hannibal Anything Monday, if you could go anywhere in the world for a week to unplug and recharge, where would it be? And my answer was, and still is, Puerto Vallarta. Uh, Completely unplug and just soak in Mexican beauty. There are a lot of places in the world I'd like to visit and or revisit, as the case would be. My gut instinct, my first response, uh, after careful thought, is still uh, the accurate one. I um, And there's a story behind it. <laughs> Go figure. And I learned a lot, too, and I may have mentioned this. I'm not sure if I got into this story uh, during uh, the first episode, but we're going to get into it now. And um, I think a story, if it's good enough, is worth rehearing again. I don't think I told all the details on it and everything else, so... Here we go. I was in the midst of my comedy club career. This is back in, uh, man, the uh, the late 90s and early 2000s, really early 2000s, because I walked away from it uh, at the very beginning of 2001 and never went back. I was booked to work at a, uh, a bar and grill, basically a rib place, uh, in Puerto Vallarta that had a comedy club in its upstairs um, upstairs loft. Uh, to the life of me, I've done some research, I've looked back as far as I could, and I'm unable to come up with the name of the person that booked me there. I'm fairly certain it was a fellow magician uh, who was tied into um, uh, the comedy club circuit. It may have been Scott Francis, but I'm not, I'm absolutely not sure about that. Anyway, I was uh, someone gave me their name and gave them my name, and we made it work. I was booked to work for ten days, uh, covering two weekends, and in Puerto Vallarta, down in Mexico, on the west coast. Um, I was to be the opening act for Margaret Smith. Uh, Margaret is a very fine comedian. Um, very dry, very sarcastic kind of comedy that I just really love, and uh, and I jumped at the chance. 
I was to be the opening act and MC for a three-person program. I have history has taken the name of the middle guy away, but uh, he was funny. That's really all I can tell you. I was generally in the back, uh, recovering from my set, resetting for the next show, and, and getting uh, my things together while he was on. So I didn't get to see much of him. Um, arrived in Puerto Vallarta, flying in over the uh, over the bay, and it's shaped like. Uh, a big horseshoe, bright beaches, uh, a road between, and then like the strip that is there. And there's there's all the um, the McDonald's and the the Hooters and the the casinos and everything else along the way, and lots of stuff, lots of local things plugged in in the spaces in between. A um, little bit reminded me a little bit of Hollywood Boulevard when I uh, when I first arrived there, but it's shaped like a big horseshoe, big U shape. Um, the name of the place I was working was Mickey's No Name Cafe. Um, I, I tried to research to see if it was still there. Some places, uh, there were places on the internet that said that it was, it had relocated, and there were other places that said it had closed completely. But um, I met Mickey. Uh, he had someone pick us up at the airport and drive us uh, drive us to the club. Uh, it was the home of the Chicago Cubs. Um, is the way he built it. It was uh, all uh, polished wood and, and, and bright colors and uh, Cub stuff everywhere. Chicago Cub stuff just covering every every surface from the glasses to the posters on the walls to everything else. <clears throat> he had uh, he had some great food. His ribs were were not uh, uh, he did the hype was was correct. They were absolutely wonderful, and he took really great care of us. Now. The first part of the week, the very first weekend we were there, Mickey put me and the middle act up in a hotel room. He had a house out in the uh, in the jungle. Let me back up a step. When we first got there, we were told that uh, some things we needed to know. Um, we were absolutely, you know, welcome anywhere in the uh, on the strip. Lots of touristy places to see. Lots of fun things to take part in. And then in the neighborhoods just behind the strip, there were some hidden surprises and some fun stuff that uh, I'll tell you about in a few minutes. But beyond that was the jungle, and we were cautioned to stay as far away from that as possible um, because there were gangs and there were bad people and bad things in the jungle that we should certainly, as ultra-white Americans, uh, would be best to avoid. So... Uh, first couple of nights we stayed in a, in a hotel because uh, Mickey had a place. He had his own um, his own house out away from the city that uh, Margaret requested that she and her partner um, have some time alone. They had they also had a son uh, there uh, for the first weekend. Asked for privacy. Asked if they could you know, have it to themselves for a few days. And being the headliner and being who she was and uh, Mickey being the great guy that he was, uh, he said, of course, um, put us up in a very nice hotel. And Margaret had her weekend with her little family uh, out in her thing. And she's, you know, I don't begrudge her that. She was the headliner and goodness knows uh, if I was in the same position, I would certainly ask for the same thing. It was a very, very beautiful place. So we spent the first couple of days wandering the city, wandering looking up at, you know, smoking Cuban cigars because they were readily available. And it was the 
the really forbidden thing at the time, you know. Um, sampling the restaurants, you know, hanging out on the beach, playing in the clubs at night, and then, you know, doing our show. Um, and, and had a blast. It was, it was really wonderful. It was, it was a very, very beautiful place, and I'll forget. Very relaxing. I know that there was never a lot of stress at all happening in the city. And, of course, in the afternoons was mandatory, um, not for the touristy places, of course, but mandatory siesta time, and, and everybody would really chill out. They were chill to begin with, but, man, in the middle of the afternoon, they got really chill. Um, and, and I just loved it. I, I, uh, I reflected on a lot of things, and it was really at that point, somewhere in there, that uh, I decided that comedy clubs were done for me. That this wasn't as beautiful as it was, and, and as amazing as this place that I got to go to, it um, it wasn't worth the cost of, of what I was doing. Um, this is uh, it's not exactly the direction I was going to take this, but here we are. I was booked from December the uh, it was like December the twenty second through January the 2nd or 3rd. It, it was billed as 10 days, but there, of course there's travel time and a couple of weekends in there uh, to do this with. Now, because of that um, because of that schedule, because of that that uh, of putting me in at that particular time, I missed Christmas for the first time um, with my little family. I missed... Uh, I miss New Year's, which had always been a great tradition. We had always, you know, been together, and of course, at this time, um, there were there were the four kids were, were there. Nine. I'm gonna let's see. This would be ninety seven. So we're looking at about nine. Their, their ages being like nine, seven, four, and and two, somewhere in there. Uh, Braden being about two years old. But the thing was, because of that. Um, I missed Grace's birthday on the 23rd, and I missed Rose's birthday on the 4th. I think I got back either late that day or the next day. But I missed four pretty big important days in just that short two weeks of, uh, of travel and out doing work. And the money was good, don't get me wrong, and the vacation was wonderful, but I was, you know, from my selfish point of view, and I'll, I'll give the other one in a second, but from my selfish point of view, I was completely by myself. I had my friends around me. I had my coworkers around me, and we had ribs for Christmas, but I didn't have my family nearby, and it wasn't worth it. It was, uh, it was a big, huge wake-up call. I spent Christmas Day, most of the day, sitting on the beach, watching the ocean, um, Imagining what was going on back at home, and communication was pretty much zero. Um, Pre-cell phone, you know, expansion. Uh, there was, uh, you know, uh, I believe email. We we emailed back and forth as best we could, but I didn't have a lot of communication options open to me at the time. So they were without me, and I was without them, and they felt it. And I could feel, you know, when I got back home, I could feel their disappointment. Uh, they were glad to have me back, of course, but they were very disappointed that I had had to be gone during that time. And so I spent Christmas Day 
sitting on the beach, uh, thinking of my family, and trying to decide, you know, do I continue this course? Do I uh, do I keep striving for the uh, the the greater visibility, the the things that comedy clubs are going to bring me? Which, incidentally, it would be more travel, more time away, more um, more family absences. And I think I decided in Puerto Vallarta that uh, there had to be a better way, even if it meant making less money, which it did, even if it meant uh, less fame, which, thank God, it did. Um, fame and me are not, are not friends. Um, and I made that choice there. And once I got home and, and, and spent time with the family uh, in, in earnest, I realized it was the right choice, and I uh, refocused on restaurants, corporate work, speaking, and shorter trips, shorter uh, work trips to where I could be at home as often as I possibly could. And it was the right choice. Um, Despite the ultimate outcome of my marriage, uh, I got extra years because of that choice. Um, So there. One of the... um, Sorry about that. One of the stories that uh, came out, there was a young lady who worked as a uh, as a waitress, a bartender at um, Mickey's No Name Cafe, and we were talking about family. This was the day after Christmas. We were talking about family. I was asking about hers, and uh, I, she revealed to me, and there's not going to be any names here, and there's no repercussions for this, and I'm not passing any judgment on anybody. Because I found the story itself heartwarming, terrifying, and fascinating at the time, and that hasn't uh, that hasn't diminished any. She had lived in the United States. She was a Mexican American living in the United States, um, married to a man, and they had uh, a young son. And I asked her about Christmas, and she had said something to the effect of, "It was a holiday like this that made her decide to escape her abusive husband." Um, According to the story she told me, and, you know, I'm a third party to this. I don't know how much it's embellished. I don't know how much of it is true. I don't know, et cetera, et cetera. I'm going to go ahead and tell you. I don't know. She confided to me um, that she had had killed her husband and fled to Mexico, changed her name, and took a series of anonymous jobs while she built this new personality— and uh, and eventually went to work in a, in a bunch of different restaurants in in, uh, in different resort cities, and um, I was shocked. I was I was stunned, but she she gave me uh, enough detail to where I believed the story uh, that she told me. And and you can't uh, I don't know who am I to judge on things. He was apparently very abusive, and it got to the point of it was either going to be her or him. And uh, she chose that it would be him, and she escaped. I asked why she didn't just leave, uh, grab the boy, and, 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 and take off, um, and she didn't have an answer for that. Um, and that's kind of where the conversation ended, the people you meet, right? So uh, Sunday afternoon, after, after the big show on Saturday, um, that particular Sunday uh, memorable in a couple of ways. We uh, we were moving into the house 
um, into Mickey's house the uh, the next day, and so we were kind of packing up the hotel room, getting everything you know fixed up, and me and um, one of the waiters and the uh, the other uh, the other comic went out into the city for lunch, and they showed me something they had discovered over the weekend. We walked back past the strip. We walked back into the uh, uh, the neighborhoods back there, and it was like uh, very, very much like L.A., except the houses were, were packed a little bit closer to each other. There were yards, and there were fences, and there were neighborhoods that you could you know clearly define, but um, if you look past the polish of the front line, these were very normal, lived-in uh, family houses. We walked back a couple of blocks, and there was a house with a uh, uh, a back porch and a sign hanging off of the back porch that said lunch and uh, a monetary amount. Something uh, in my mind, I want to say twenty five pesos. That that's probably way wrong. Um, but there was like you know uh, two bucks, five bucks uh, lunch, and they said this is one of the places. We went up and we knocked on the door, and. We went in and sat down, and they served us lunch at the family table. And we had um, what the family was having. <laughs> I mean, it was like they had lunch. They made enough for extra people to come by. Uh, we came in. They served us like we were family. We didn't really talk because language barrier. Um, but we paid them, uh, and it was uh, a kind of a, a, a burrito. Uh, with uh, with several homegrown vegetables, and then crepes for a, for a kind of dessert, uh, all handmade. All uh, was right there. We're sitting, really, just sitting in the kitchen uh, as they served us uh, from their own uh, from their own uh, pantry. And they thanked us, and we thanked them, and we paid them, and and uh, finished lunch and moved on. It was it was surrealistic, um, but it was the most at home I felt the entire time I was there. Here's people that didn't know us at all, um, basically hung out a sign that said, in effect, if you're hungry, we've got lunch, and here's what it'll cost you. No menu, no no advertising, no anything at all other than this little sign. And on my way back, as we were walking back to the city part, uh, I noticed four or five others just in random places had these similar signs just hanging out. Um and the the uh, the artistic part of me wants to say how amazing, how how incredible to to put yourself out there to strangers, to to, to take what you've made with your own hands, to uh, to present it out and, uh, and and say our door is open, welcome, you know, and uh, I'm going to hang on to that. I, I uh, like I said, it was one of the things that made me feel the most at home. They were very attentive without being, without it feeling like a restaurant. It, it generally felt, you know, here we are, here we are at, a, at a, like a relative's house you'd drop in on. Um, that, that struck a big chord in me. I remember that more clearly than I remember a lot of the shows. Except that uh, after the first weekend, after the initial crush of crowds, uh, I believe we were dark on Monday. I don't believe there was a show at the beginning of the week uh, as we moved. We just kind of came to the restaurant and hang hanged out, hung out with uh, with the people that worked there. Um, but one of the first parts of the week, maybe Tuesday or Wednesday, 
was one of the most memorable times I have ever been actually booed off stage. Um, I uh, I was in the midst of a set. the The audience was tepid, not really into everything. They it was either because it was the early part of the week, or there just weren't many of them there. I think in the seating, which normally was in the around a hundred people stage, people that had, that had had food downstairs and come upstairs uh, to the bar for the thing, normally between a hundred and a hundred and fifty, we had maybe 40, 45 people in the audience, and they were scattered. And if you've ever worked on stage, if you've ever worked as a, as a stand-up or as a magician, or if you've ever stood up in front of people, when they are scattered like that, the uh, it's harder to get humor out of them. When they're tightly packed, people tend to laugh easier. They tend to relax quicker. They tend to give you more attention when it's a group as opposed to a few over here and a few over there. It's uh, it's like it gets baffled between the the microphone and the audience. It uh, the energy doesn't come back to you as easily. So I was most of the way through a set, and uh, this was the very opening bit. And uh, I was doing a, a a comedy bit with sponge balls, and I had one hidden in my left hand, and some guy from the audience just all at once. In the midst of, they were, there was laughs. There were, there, everybody was kind of getting into it. I was doing the best I could. This guy stood up and he said, I don't want you to say another word. I want you to open your left hand right now because you're a fake. And my initial response, being that it was a comedy club, was, you know, to, to silence the heckler. I don't remember what I said, but I fired something back at him. And I said, you know, you know, this is uh, it's a show. It doesn't have to be reality. You're not, you know, are you the kind of guy who stands up in the midst of Peter Pan and says, hey, I can see the strings, you know, which got a bit of a laugh. Um, and he came back with uh, uh, an insult to my appearance. He said something along the lines of and I'm, you know, straight up. He came up back with, well, at least I know what my own dick looks like. Which is a it's a fat joke. If you've if you've never been a fat man, <laughs> you might not have heard that joke. I've heard it a lot, uh, to tell you the truth. Um, and I said again, I came back. I didn't come back hard, but I came back with, you know, you're taking this way too personally. It's a show. Let's just sit down and relax, and you know, let's enjoy the rest of it. Uh, he made some other comment about uh, me deceiving everybody. It, it felt the oddest way, like being confronted by a street preacher again, um, but in a in a comedy club where people are drinking and enjoying a comedy show. Um, so lack of experience, lack of whatever, I went ahead and opened my left hand and showed that I had a ball hidden there. And... The and, and a reaction that I did not expect and, and a reaction I still don't understand to this day, the entire audience started booing. And they got, I mean, loud booing, just angry, oh, we caught you and we're upset about it kind of booing. And I could not continue. They got, they were pounding on the tables. They were saying, get off the stage. Uh, they did everything short of throwing stuff at me. And it it felt like they were on the verge of that. Well, Second guy, the, the, the second guy who had come up, came to my rescue 
um, stepped up to the stage and uh, took over the microphone and um, allowed me to basically wave, pick up my my uh, my case, and and walk off stage. And he got them back. He uh, he got them back from that. I wasn't. Uh, I felt it better that I not go back out on stage for the rest of the night, and uh, I was devastated. Uh, talk about soul crushing! I, um, I've never had as bad a reaction before or since um, from an audience that way. But uh, for whatever reason, they were ready to turn on me, and they they absolutely did. And um, it's one of the worst feelings I've ever experienced in my life. I mean, one minute. We are, we are, we've got a blossoming relationship going. They're laughing in some of the right places. I'm getting a feel for their thing. And then I'm confronted, and either I didn't handle the confrontation really well, or maybe I should have never opened my hand, or I'm not exactly sure what the, even now, what the proper response would be. But then they hated me all at once because I was hiding a ball in my left hand. They absolutely hated me and did not want to hear another word that I had to say and let me know. So, uh, just a, a slinking uh, off the stage that uh, I never ever want to experience again. But I guess I learned from it. <laughs> I at least got a story out of it. Um, the next, uh, or during that part, we had moved out to the house and uh, the house was amazing. This was a, a little um, four-bedroom, one-story flat, basically, out in the middle of, uh, of jungle uh, uh, out there. Um, small gated community and really gated. High fences, strong gate, and uh, guards at the front gate with automatic weapons in view, you know, wearing around their necks. So... Uh, uh, they said feel safe, but after seeing something like that, it's difficult to feel safe. Um, so I enjoyed a lot of really, really late nights looking up at the stars through the trees, which was was absolutely gorgeous. Big swimming pool, um, a staff that uh, came in to cook for us twice a day. They made us breakfast and lunch. Uh, the entire front of the house was open um, like a like a porch. So that we could enjoy the uh, the weather, enjoy the uh, the scenery, and it was uh, it was fantastic. So, very very long answer there, but that's what I got out of Puerto Vallarta. That's uh, that's the thing. We finished up the week without any other incidents. Um, I learned a lot from watching Margaret perform, um, but I'd already decided, even before getting booed off stage, I had already decided that it was time to leave comedy clubs behind. And uh, and so I did. That was my last out of town uh, comedy club performance uh, for a very 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 long time until I got a grasp on things. Uh, let's see. Let me take a look at some other things. When was the last time a card trick went wrong and you couldn't get it right? That happens a lot uh, to a lot of different things. The the great part. What I love about my performance and, and what I've I've settled into as my kind of performance rhythm is that I take what comes. If a card trick goes wrong, I, I have the experience now and I have the skill to take it in a different direction and, and put up a better ending or a different ending, let me put it that way, um, than I had before. Art is an evolution. 
you keep learning, well, let me just say life is an evolution. You keep learning, you keep growing as you go. Um, there's never a, a point of, well, that's good as it is. You, you, you learn, you rise above yesterday's mediocrity. You accept more, you love more, you reach out more as best you can. You, you learn to accept love better uh, than you did yesterday. It, it's all a, a constant thing. Uh, it's, it's odd to, to go from a card trick into that little line of thinking, but welcome to my podcast and welcome to the inside of my brain. This is how it goes. This is where I learn from. Um, let me fall back to, it was an interesting question. Uh, someone asked about busking in Charlotte, North Carolina. Do you still need a license to busk in Charlotte, North Carolina? As of this date where I'm standing right now, no, you don't. As long as you are in a public place in Charlotte, North Carolina, you do not need a busking license. There are, there's a lot of fuzzy edges in downtown Charlotte about what is public and what is private because a lot of the banking space that are owned by the banks look like public property, but they are not. Uh, the sidewalks, the, uh, the parks, the public parks, all of those are fair game and are yours to go out and perform in. So if you are a busker in Charlotte, North Carolina, have at it. Go for it. Um, Barry Matas, if I'm saying your name right, if I'm not, please forgive me. Question of, when you develop a new magic effect, do you start with an idea or story and make up the routine, or do you find and develop a new move and make a story around it? More specifically, when do you start to add the story? Well, Here's the answer to that, and I actually get this kind of a question a lot. When I'm producing, when I'm when I'm actually creating stuff, and I don't create an awful lot of stuff, I'm I, I stick with a lot of the material for a very long time. Um, the story is the most important thing, but it's not always the first thing. Um, I look for things that have meaning. Sometimes I'll get the story ahead of time. There'll be something I want to say, and if I have something I want to say. I will either make a point in the show, I'll make a place in the show to just absolutely come straight out and say it, or I will, more often, I will try to look for um, an effect, uh, a piece of art, a bit of magic, to relate what I'm trying to say, to relate what it is that I want to get across as an artist to my audience. Uh, As an example, the uh, cylinder and coins, the thing I call uh, silver memories, I saw someone do it years and years ago, and I fell in love with the um, the, process, the, the, the the effect itself. A little piece of cork appears on top of um, coins underneath the cylinder, um, created and, and made popular by John Ramsey, but also a bunch of other magicians who have altered it in, in subtle ways and, and improved on the effect in their own little ways and made it their own. And I wanted that particular effect in my act, but I had no reason for it. I had no point of other than these are the adventures of the props, um, which is fine, which is a great plot thing, but for me it didn't fit. For me as Hannibal, as storyteller magician dude, I wanted it to have more Meat. I wanted it to have more sustenance than simply, here's this nifty thing that I can do. 
And I learned the routine and I practiced the routine and I did it for a very long time for myself. And it wasn't until I, until I accidentally stumbled across the, uh, the tube, that um, the right tube, that uh, the whole thing came into fruition, became something of merit, became my own. Um, so the answer to that question is, it happens in all kinds of different ways. Sometimes I'll have a story and develop a, a trick around it, or sometimes there'll be a, a trick that I just want to do, but I want to say something with it, so I'll pull the story in from my own past experiences. And the one thing I'd want to stress about this is, as a performer, if you want to be an artist, if you want that, you've got to show more of who you are. You've got to show more of your own soul. You need the experiences. You need to go out in the real world. Go out and and see new things. See other artists. Read books. Read books outside of your own wheelhouse. Read um, historical documents. Live life. Get your heart broken. Uh, love unreservedly. And from all those experiences, bring it back to the stage because that's your medium. That's what you have to go out there, you know. And we're lucky in that we have a stage to do it on. Uh, I was speaking briefly with a friend earlier this week, Lori, um, who expressed the desire to be on stage as much as possible, that that's where she found her heart. That's where her home is. Um, And finding the balance between real life, quote, real life and life on the stage can be very difficult, especially if you look at them as two separate entities. And is there, in fact, a line between the person you are on stage and the person you are off stage, Or is it just another facet of the life you live? Are you, and I'm talking to people who aren't performers right now, I'm assuming there are a few of you that are listening. Um, are you a different person at work than you are at home with your family? Are you a different person in front of your extended family than you are with your friends? And I think the obvious answer to that is, yeah, of course you are. We are complex, multi-functional type of human beings, and we adjust ourselves uh, as we find new environments. And so, yeah, as a performer, the stage is a, is a different persona, but it's still me. It still comes from my heart. A lot of failure happens in people that, and I'm going to explain this in a second, so bear with me through it, but people that try to be someone else. And I'm not talking about Tom Mullica becoming Red Skelton to perform a, a, a heartfelt tribute to his hero, Red Skelton, and and doing that for years and years and excelling at it. The thing about it is, is that he and Red, for this particular case, he and Red were friends before he ever decided to do this. He, um, he respected and loved the source material so much that he put his own heart and soul into it and became, for all effects, Red Skelton. No, I'm, I'm more talking about the the dancer, the magician, the musical artist who creates from their own heart rather than trying to mimic or ape. And we're going right back to where we started at the beginning. Mimic or ape somebody else in their performance. It has to be you. It has to be a part of you. 
And it is a gift. You were given this gift, this gift of being on stage and feeling it as home for a reason. There are people out there whose lives you touch because of what you do. Um, Highly recommend, if you have not seen it yet, watch the movie Chef um, with John Favreau. Uh, Unbelievably heartfelt. Uh, The line that sticks with me again and again, I wasn't a good husband. I may not have been a good father. And I accept that, but I'm good at this. I touch people's lives with what I do, and I'm very good at it. And honestly, if I'm going to be honest with myself, being good at what I was made to do is enough. It has to be enough. I evolve it. I grow it. I nurture it. I put my heart, my soul, and my life behind my work because I was made to do this work. People will tell you, there are people, there are specific people out there that will tell you, I was not a good husband. I was not a good father. I'm not a good friend. I can point you to very specific people who will tell you those things. But I'll tell you this, I was a good husband. I was kind. I was nurturing. I listened. I did for my wife without question. I did not stray. I did not have thoughts of wanting to be unmarried. I was married for nearly 30 years, and I loved being a husband. I loved being married. People, There are absolutely people who will tell you that's not true. But I'm looking at my own heart and telling you truthfully, it was. I was devastated when it ended. And it took time for me to recognize why it had to end. Uh, and and it did. I was a good father. I, I I will not, you know, I won't back down from that. I did. I provided a good example. I went out. I found what my hands were able to do, and I did it with all my might. And I set an example for my kids that way. I disciplined them correctly. I believe they grew up to be good human beings. They grew up to be artistic, storytelling. Incredible, incredible people, incredible adults. None of them do card tricks. Not a single one of them followed in my footsteps, which is fine. That's great. They all have their own things. I count among my children, I have a, a wrestler. I have a guitar player. I have an artist. I have a photographer. I have a painter. And my, they, they have their own myriad talents. And they do them very, very well. And they do them with heart. And I'm proud of them. And part of what they do is they stand up for the people they believe are victims. They will stand in the way of the person they feel has been done wrong. And they will passionately defend that person. And um, I'm proud of them for that, too. Um, Right now, in my life, they see me as the villain. Most of them see me as the villain. And so they, they stand in the path. And I'm proud of them for that. I don't feel like a victim. I believe there'll come a time when they will understand that even if what they believe about me is true, there comes a time for forgiveness. And I hope that time is soon because I miss my kids. Um, not sure where I was going with this. There was, a, there was a place I was... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The point is, 
I did those things and I did them well because, you know, I, I was raised to believe in the family, in the, in the, you know, mom and dad and the kids and, 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 and all of that. And I did it to the best of my ability. But the thing I was made for, the thing I was absolutely created for is the stage, is being up on stage and pouring my heart out to people as often as I possibly can, telling my stories, doing my card tricks, um, having people write on my skin with Sharpie markers. These are things I was born to do. And maybe, maybe to you that sounds selfish. Maybe it sounds self-serving or narcissistic or egomaniacal even. And it's perfectly your privilege to see me that way. But in my own growth and in my own evolution of my life, I realized that that has become the most important thing. This is a thing that will never leave me. It hasn't, in, uh, since I first discovered it, since my, first, my feet first got on stage at six years old, um, this desire and this, this ability has never left me. And it certainly shows no signs of leaving me now. So this is what I'm feeding and nurturing, and through that, uh, I have been given the wherewithal to take care of the people I'm responsible for. I'm not rich, although I make a decent living, and it, it's going to get better because now I'm refocused on my work again. I'm not. I, I have a, a small amount of fame, but I don't really want more. I'd like for more people to to view my work. I'd like for more people to see what I'm putting out there. I'd like to entertain more people. But I really don't want to become famous because there's a lot of pain and there's a lot of, of negativity that comes with, quote, famous. It's a delicate balance. And uh, I'm doing my best, you know. So that being said, here's what's coming up. Um, this is going to be a weekly thing. My intention is to... Um, Again, like I stated last week, the the audio podcast is going to go up first to uh, the Patreon page, to the patrons who are supporting me. And God bless each and every one of you. Thank you so much. Currently sitting at uh, 29 people who uh, have invested in the idea of Hannibal. Uh, They will get it, and then two days later, I release it out to uh, iTunes. It's easily searchable on iTunes. It's also on SoundCloud as the source, and a couple of other um, Blueberry and um, and some other uh, podcast-carrying places, but iTunes being the most important, being the giant that it is. Uh, Hannibal Across the Table. You found it once. Promote it, like it, subscribe, share with your friends, and thanks for doing that. Um, so those those things, the, the audio portion will be released out to the uh, Patreon people on Tuesdays. The... Uh, the iTunes the following Thursday, so just two days, so that they get it first for, for being you know being there for me uh, initially. Um, if you want to invest in me, if you'd like to help me along my road, uh, my Patreon page for patrons, for uh, investors, for people who like what I do and would like to, in any way you see fit, support it, uh, patreon.com backslash magic artist. Uh, you can find me there. There are people that donate a dollar a month. There are people that donate three, five, ten dollars a month. Everything helps. It helps me to travel. 
It helps me to have time to do podcasts like this, to put videos up on um, uh, on YouTube. And if you search Hannibal the Magician on YouTube, you'll find a bunch of stuff there. And I'd really like your support there as well. If you'd like to subscribe, make a comment, like uh, like a video or two. Love to have you over there. Um, just running down the list of things. Instagram and uh, and Twitter are both uh, at Magic Artist. You can find me there, at Magic Artist. I have a Snapchat that I rarely use because I rarely do. I guess maybe I should look more into it, but it's not something I've, I've delved into much. But uh, Card Monkey, if you want to find me on Snapchat. I'm funny. I'm kind of funny. I got stuff. Um, I have a local show coming up in Charlotte, local public show coming up on August the 7th, just a, uh, two weeks from today, uh, at, uh, at uh, Petra's. Chris Curitan's going to be opening for me. We're going to have music and magic and chase Monday away and, uh, and have a blast. So make some plans to come out. $10 to the door. Door opens at 8. Uh, show starts roughly 8.30, although there's always something going on the moment you come in. I'm generally on stage talking, setting up, getting to know you better. Uh, I'd love to have you bring some friends. What else are you going to do on a Monday? Come, relax, have some fun. I'll get you home early because you got the rest of the work week ahead, but I'll also send you off uh, feeling a little bit better. I promise. Um, there are some other things happening out in the rest of the country that I can't yet talk about because I have not nailed them down, but there will be some public appearances uh, in various other places coming up pretty soon. Hopefully by next week I'll be able to uh, give you a rundown in the calendar on those things. Uh, later this week, I am traveling to Washington, D.C. and doing a show at the infamous Watergate Hotel um, and uh, for, for a, new, a new-ish client. Uh, this will be the first show I'm actually doing for them. But uh, the gentleman who brought me in is a, a client from uh, years and years. We've been working together. Uh, he got a new job. He got a new promotion. He's working with a new company, and he is bringing me in for a corporate event. So nourish those relationships, kids. That's, uh, that's uh, rule number two. Rule number one, have a kick-ass show. Number two, be human and, and nurture your relationships. That's what's going on in my world. That's, um, that's what's on my mind. I hope you've enjoyed our little bit of time together. Um, knowing me and knowing the way things work, look for a supplement um, before the next uh, before the next official podcast. Maybe two point five. I'll, I'll, you know, I know there's other stuff I want to talk about, uh, and I'll probably get into them later this week. So there may be some bonuses. As a rule of thumb, um, the patron people can expect this uh, these podcasts to hit them around Tuesday. And uh, my other supporters, my other fans, friends, people that listen to me on whatever it, it'll hit iTunes on Thursdays is, uh, is what I'm planning for. Um, and hold me to it. I'd really like to hear your uh, I'd really like to hear your feedback. I'd like to hear what you have to say. How do you like the podcast? Do you not like it? Do you like it? Do you want it longer? Do you want it shorter? Do you want more stories? Would you like to hear? It's going to be based on what I can bring to you like the art that I do. It's going to be me. It's going to be 100% me, but uh, your feedback is vital. And knowing that you're listening, knowing that you're actually hearing me, uh, even more so. Um, 
just as a point of fact, I'm doing this uh, alone in a room, um, looking at my library and staring down a microphone and trying to imagine there are actually people listening. So if you are actually a person, and if you are listening, and if by some slim chance you've made it all the way to this point, send me a message or, or leave a question uh, anywhere that you're hearing this. Uh, if you, there'd be a message um, spot for you to leave a message there. Let me hear from you. Let me know what you think. Let me know what's going on in your life. Tell me what you'd like to hear me talk about. Um, it's really my honor and my privilege to be here and, uh, and doing this for you. Um, I have a heart to entertain. I have a heart to talk to people. And um, this allows me the medium to do those things. Thanks for listening. I am Hannibal, and I'm going to remain so the best I possibly know how to be. And it's never going to be quite good enough, so I'll keep striving and I'll keep doing it for you. One last thing. It's another thank you. Um, I'm really overwhelmed right now with gratitude in, in thinking about someone actually, even if it's only one of you, listening through the end of this and, uh, and showing some interest in my rambling little stories. It means the world to me to have this medium to be able to reach out this way. So, again, thank you. And I hope, sincerely hope, that there is love where you are. <laughs>